Anyway, um, thank God for his word tonight. Amen. Let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's word and prayer for the message as we begin reading Revelation chapter 22 in verse number one. We'll read down through verse 11 and then elaborate on what we've read. The Bible says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecies of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren and prophets, and to them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And that he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these that have gathered here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we study through the good book tonight. Lord, we thank you for this book. And Lord, what it means to us and what was going to be happening in the future. And Lord, I pray that we'll continue to take it and use it to benefit the kingdom. And Lord, to help us understand about this new Jerusalem that we'll be speaking of again tonight. And Lord, I'll surely thank you, praise you, give you glory and honor for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. The final chapter of Revelation and of the New Testament gives some final passages for the reader. The prospects for the believer are very wonderful. That that we're looking forward to in the future is something beautiful and great. That is on the horizon that you and I, being the saved saint of God, will be able to take part in. Which is a very huge contrast to what the unbeliever is going to be in store. Uh, as the unbeliever gets to, to uh, uh, they will not be able to inherit this uh, kingdom. They will not be able to be allowed to be in the new Jerusalem. Of course, those that have rejected Jesus Christ will not have that privilege, but they will be departed from the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God forever and ever in a place that's called hell. I believe that the, this is not preached enough in our days. Everybody needs to know that there is a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. 
Folks, hell is real. It's a real place. Now, there are going to be times where people tell you that it might not be real or it's not real. But how can you believe in a heaven and not believe in a hell? That's what confuses me tonight. I believe in both. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I believe that Revelation 22 can be divided into four major parts. We're going to look at two of those parts tonight. Uh, the first one being a city that is described. The first five verses of this chapter belong to the pre, uh, can be really just uh, grouped in with the last part of the last chapter as it is characterizing what this city is going to be like. Now, I use there for number one there a stream, the stream in the city. Now, I do realize that the Bible said that there is a river running through that city. I put stream there to where my S's would line up, amen, and to where we could be analytical on it tonight, to where it would help you remember. But uh, in contrast to the condemned sinner and torment in that place called hell, who could wish for just a drop of water on their tongue, uh, according to the Bible in Luke chapter 16, this glorious new Jerusalem city provides the inhabitants with a sparkling river flowing through it that is available to all. Folks, we'll never have to beg for a drop of water in the city of heaven. And the new Jerusalem, that city, uh, that stream, that river, if you will, that is running through uh, that city. Uh, I see there where the Bible says in verse number one that it is a pure river of life and clear as crystal. The river is unlike anything that we have in this life and that it is absolutely crystal clear water. I'm here to tell you there's no water company that can produce a water like this one. Uh, you can even take city water, which is supposed to be clean water. You can take water out of a well, which sometimes uh, on the, the scales of it being tested is actually cleaner than city water a lot of times. But no matter who produces the water, how many times they filter it, or how many rocks it may run over to clean it, may I say there'll never be a river as pure as that river running through heaven. Why? Because there's no sin. There's no nastiness there. It's all clean. It's all pure. And I believe that it is what it says it is. A river of water of life that is clear as crystal. And he says that it's proceeding out of the throne of God. And of the Lamb. You see the source of the river is coming from the throne of God. So it, it is going to be beneficial to the citizens that are of that city. And uh, I believe today that it's there for your enjoyment and mine is that river. Now, will we be drinking from that water? Hey, listen, for some reason, I believe that's where we're going to get a cool drink from every once in a while. Uh, people may think, uh, uh, well, why would we need water in heaven? Uh, why would we need the fruits that are on the tree of life in heaven? Why, why are we going to need uh, food there? Well, apparently we're going to be afforded the opportunity to eat and drink and be merry like we are down here a lot of times. And I think that we can uh, uh, look at the scripture tonight and, and, and prove that to a particular meaning. As it is proceeding out of the throne of God. Again, that tells you how pure this water's got to be. This water has got to be of the purest of pure. If it's coming anywhere from around the throne of God, it will not be polluted. As we look in this world, as we look around us, uh, every bit of water structure at times gets polluted from time to time. And, uh, but I'm here to tell you, there'll never be any pollution in that city. There'll never be any pollution uh, in that uh, river of water of life either. But then I see the sustenance in the city. Revelation 22 and 2 uh, we see that is in the midst of the street on either side of the river. 
the location of that tree. They're talking about the tree of life. Uh, And it's been made accessible and easily accessible to all. Now, I I began to have some some thoughts about this particular scripture here because I, I, I just really couldn't understand exactly what was being said. But if we look at verse number 22, we'll try to uh, explain to you exactly what I've come up with tonight. According to thus saith the word of God. The Bible says, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. Now, this implies that there's more than one tree. Think about it. In the midst of the street of it, and On either side of the river, there was the tree of life. Now, now if you're going to be on both sides of the river, it gives you the indication that you just might have two trees. But it says on each side of the river, the tree of life, which is singular. Do we have more than one tree? Or is there one tree? Um, We'll get to that in a minute. Um, could it possibly be that it's but one tree and its growth will be on both sides of the river? I've thought of that. And so there is the plurality in the tree. Some trees today send up growths from their roots so that there can be a number of trees, but only one tree in actuality. And this could very well possibly be it right here. Uh, when those uh, trees began to root out and began to send the shoots off, uh, you often have two trees and one root system. So we don't know if, if, if it's on, wonder how big the river is. How wide is the river? We don't know how wide the river is. Could be very wide, could be very narrow. But if it's extremely wide, then how do you explain one tree on one side, one tree on the other side, but yet there be the tree of life? You know, a lot of times we can sit around and debate, and a lot of times we can sit around and wonder. But as all I want to know is this, and to know that it is true, there is a tree. Amen. <laughs> there is a tree there. A lot of things we're not told in the Word of God. A lot of things we're not told the, uh, the specifics of uh, each and everything that is in this book. But uh, everything that I have studied on that behalf uh, both lends to believe that it is possibly just one tree, but... It reaches both sides of the river. Maybe it grows up and over the, the river. And again, it depends on the size of the river, the size of the tree. Uh, that is something that we have not been privy to here in the scriptures. And uh, it just makes you homesick a little bit more to know all about it when you get there. Amen. So they, they, the Bible also speaks of 12 manner of fruits. Um, that's the product of this tree, providing more sustenance. Um, this indicates a variety of uh, fruits that will be on that tree. Eternity, my friend, is not going to be dull. Uh, the continuous of these fruits that will be uh, coming to fruition there, it's just like eternity. This tree is always going to be fruitful. Eternity is always going to be there. It's never going to end. And these fruits on that tree is never going to end. So... Um, And also, here's something else that kind of threw me off. Here in in verse number 22, the Bible says, or chapter 22, verse 2, the last part of that verse, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
I guess this is God's divine government health program. Uh, I don't know. It's free. It's adequate. And it provides uh, for you and I throughout eternity. Uh, nothing compares uh, in any other health program. I can surely tell you that. Um, as I began to look and study into more scriptures about this particular verse. Because it was one of the most difficult scriptures to look into and interpret. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You were look back on the original language and the original wording of the scripture. That word healing means health. Now, if we were to think about heaven where there's going to be no pain, there's not going to be any sickness, there's not going, everything's going to be perfect, then why do we need healing from the leaves? Well, apparently, that fruit and those healings that come from those leaves that are on that tree is what provides the good health of those that are in that city. And we're going to have perfect health to begin with. Um, but, uh, again, that's another one of those scriptures here that you... Uh, kind of scratch your head a little bit and you trust in the Lord and what he's saying. Uh, but the healing of the nations. So as we go on to verse number three, we see the safety in the city. There's no more curse. You see, this old earth has, was cursed. It's still cursed today because of sin. And this has brought great peril to mankind. It's brought many problems to society. But in the new Jerusalem, there's going to be no peril because there is no sin and therefore, there will be no curse in that city. And uh, nothing will bring peril against the soul. So uh, that is a great thing. No more curse. Uh, I read so much today on the, 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 the news stories about all these Wiccans and witches gathering together to cast their spells on this part of the government and that part of the government. This, listen, let me tell you something, folks. This stuff is real. You may not think it's real. But I'm telling you, witchcraft is evil. It's bad. And people get tied up into that. And the devil uses that uh, uh, to bring uh, uh, terrible things amongst those that are involved in it mainly. I was reminded of a story of another pastor that called a friend of mine who was a pastor just the other day. This happened locally in, in Spartanburg. And uh, as the pastor went in... He noticed that there were some stones and wood that was set in a particular fashion by the door of the church. And he didn't know where it came from. And he began to investigate and began to search. And just so happened his security cameras were out. And one of them was out where it took place. And, and as they began to search and look and talk to other people, only thing that they could figure out, the way stuff was placed, was it, that was so, there was someone trying to place a spell if you would, on that church. And uh, as we began to read, and they began to read about different things and what that signified and how the stones were laid and the wood was laid, and they said, no, don't touch it. Don't touch it. You, you've got to take it out back. You've got, to, you've got to crush it. You've got to burn it. You've got to get rid of it. And according to what these Wiccans believe, that would reverse the spell of some sort. And I, I'm not here to tell you that about all the hocus-pocus stuff because I don't know it, but what I'm trying to tell you is this. The enemy of the devil, the enemy that is the devil, is real. Witchcraft is real. If you don't believe that, you believe, look at some of these kids that get tied up in it. And as they start playing with Ouija boards and dressing in black and painting their toenails and fingernails black and, 
uh, going with uh, uh, white makeup and they look like a ghost themselves. And sometimes you'd think they are when you look at one. And uh, I tell you, I remember a time back over at the old church uh, that uh, a lady come in one time. She was visiting with some others and she was dressed just like that. She, she looked like she was a witch of some sort when she sat down. She was a young lady, probably in her early 20s. And the time that God gave me power to preach that day in a special way. And I'm telling you now, if looks could have killed, I'd have been dead. If spells could have been cast from her, she probably cast one on me. And I said something that day that I've never ever said before inside of a church house or inside of a sermon that I was preaching. But God gave it to me as as clear as the day. I said there is someone in this room, in this congregation today, on this Sunday morning that needs help. And this is your last opportunity that God's going to give you to get the help that you need. For you will not be able to live past this day. Now, I don't know what happened to that person after they left the church house. I never heard any more of them. I didn't even know who that person was with. But I'm here to tell you, I've never seen that person again. I don't know if they were just passing through. I don't know, but I know that God told me to say that that day. Now, that was bold because, I mean, people probably thought I was off my rocker. But you know what? Uh, Many people have thought that before. But when God speaks to you to say something, then you say it. Amen? But you've got to be very careful to be sure that you're in the will of God. And, uh, you know, I have been, you know, people have asked about exorcisms and such of the things. Listen, that's not my cup of tea. Uh, but I can tell you this, those people that do that and go in and, and, and know all about that kind of stuff, uh, they better be living close to God or they will fail in what they do. Because you're no match for the devil, whether it's looking at something on the spiritual realm or if it's a, a, a battling an evil influence in your life, you're no match for the devil. But you and God, with God being the main one, can defeat the devil tonight. And there'll be things come against you. But thank God there's going to be a time in that city. There'll be no more curse of sin there. But then I see the sovereignty of the city in verse 3 and 4. The Bible says there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. There's going to be a divine presence in that city. Thankfully there are no laws to keep God out of this city. Amen. Listen, if you haven't noticed lately, it all started with schools and, it, and now it's even with the government. And uh, they're, they're trying to push God out of everything. But when one disaster comes about, whether it be inside of a schoolhouse or a, or a courtroom or a, or a law enforcement office, the first thing that they want to do is call upon the living God. Listen, if we wouldn't kick him out to begin with, uh, then we might not have all these problems that we're having today. Josh, can you turn this down just a little bit? I, I, I don't understand it. Why do we want to kick God out of everything and then when, when, when all fails and, and all hell breaks loose uh, and then everybody's looking around wondering what happened and then they're calling upon the God of heaven. We shouldn't have to be in a bad situation tonight to call upon the divine presence of God. You see, we trust Him in the bad times. We trust Him in the good times. God never said it was going to be easy. But there is going to be a time coming where it's going to be easy. 
When we're in that new Jerusalem where God is and we're in His divine presence continually, my friend, nobody's going to kick God out of that city. God's presence will dominate the city, which is the greatest blessing of all. Uh, Listen, those in the lake burning with brimstone and fire will get their wish of no God, but they'll discover quickly that no God means no gladness. And no God means eternal damnation. I can't, listen, I'm glad that there's times in my life that I can feel the divine presence of God. I just today, as I was listening to a song come over my computer as I was studying, and I began to listen to that song, and tears began to roll down my face. And because, why did it do that? It's because the song spoke to my heart, and God was speaking to me through that song. I said, man, i got to do that. <laughs> it ministers to me. You know, Josh, if we sing songs that don't minister to us, how do we expect to go minister to somebody else? I believe that. It's got to mean something to you. Amen. The divine presence of God. He says the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. This city is highly favored. It's highly honored. And by the fact that the sovereign of the universe dwells in that city. And has his throne in that city. And they shall see his face. Guess what folks? We get to see the face of Jesus. As in the case of every world capital today, you'll see high-ranking people in that city. God the Son, God the Father. In the New Jerusalem, you'll see the great sovereign of the universe. It's a great privilege and a great blessing that we'll have. Listen, Listen, although we've already met, I've never seen him face to face. But one day I will. One day I will. Why? Because I'm a child of the King. Because I'm born again. Because, I listen, it, there is no magic potion that makes you born again. You receive Christ by your faith. You exercise that right of believing in Him and come by confession. And you're made an heir to this kingdom. But then I see a sign there. It says, His name shall be in their foreheads. Those who chose to bear the mark of the beast that we've talked about in previous chapters... They bore that mark of the beast in their forehead, will not have the privilege of having the name of the great sovereign God of heaven in theirs. This name's all glorious. It marks off the, the bearer of his name as someone special, someone mightily blessed of God, someone who joys and enjoys the great privileges of God. You mean we're going to have his name upon our foreheads? That's what the Bible says. His name's going to be across our foreheads. It's not going to be triple sixes across mine. (laughs) And and it's not going to be something stamped across those sixes. Nope. It's going to be the name of the sovereign God of heaven. But look at verses uh, 33 there. but, but, But number five. Eternity is not going to be experienced by sitting around and twiddling our thumbs and doing nothing. We're going to have service. There's going to be a service to be done inside this city. You see, his servants there in verse number 3 shall serve him. The inhabitants of that city will serve the Lord. No better way to serve. No boss will be so good for whom to work than the good God of heaven. There will be no labor unions needed. Working conditions will be perfect in that city. That's That's what I'm looking forward to. 
Listen, we can walk around here tonight. We can talk about our ailments, and many of us have them tonight. We can talk about, uh, uh, Charles can tell you about some battles with his health. Uh, listen, every one of you can say uh, that you've had battles with your health of some sort or the other. I've had battles with mine. But thanks be unto God, when I get to that city, I'm not going to have to worry about any health problems. You're not going to have to worry about carrying a cane around, sister. It ain't going to happen. Brother Charles don't have to worry about a wheelchair in that city. Why? Because everything's going to be perfect. And we're going to be put to work. And God himself is going to be our boss. And he's going to give us the direction that we have to take. He's going to give us directions in what we need to be doing. Some of us may be keeping the door. I don't know. But I've kind of got a feeling that there's going to be a lot of hallelujah breaks where we can stop and shout heaven down for a little bit. And it'll already be down. Amen. It'll feel like that all the time. What a great place to be. What a great place to look forward to. This place called heaven. And these servants, the Bible says, shall reign forever and ever. The reign and the form of service will be that ruling with the Lord. The lowliest of servants in this city will be in higher position than the highest ruler ever on this present earth. Higher. Many people may look at the President of the United States and say he's the highest authority in the world. And maybe so. The highest earthly authority. He's not the highest uh, heavenly authority. He's not the highest uh, all in all authority because that is the God of heaven. But then verse number six, or verse number five, number six on your outline, the shining in the city. The city will need some sort of light. And uh, it'll be a supernatural light. Power companies are not going to dwell in the New Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Did you get your power bill lately? Uh, they're going to go out of business. Amen. That's what heaven's going to do. The mortuaries and the power companies are gone. Praise the Lord. They're not going to dwell in the New Jerusalem for they're not going to be needed. And before stating what is the light, and we know what the light is tonight, but our text tells us some negative about the light situation in the New Jerusalem. The negatives being first, there'll be no night. No night there. Uh, the light will be so great in the New Jerusalem that there'll be no night. And second, there'll be no need. No need. Uh, they, they, they need no candle or a lamp. Neither light of the sun, according to verse number 5. Power companies will surely go out of business. Amen. And these negatives indicate that there is another source of light that we normally think of in our earthly life. But in the New Jerusalem, there is no need of artificial light, which is a candle or a lamp or a bulb of some sort. There'll be no need for an astronomical light like the sun or the moon. But the Lord God giveth them light. Uh, earlier in the previous chapter, the scripture read that the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof in verse 23 of chapter 21. The presence of God provided the light of the city. And there'll never be a power failure. <laughs> Praise the Lord. From time to time, the alarm company of this church calls me and says, we just need to let you know that the power's out at the church. Is that right? Yeah. I'll call and check with a power company, and they'll tell me how long it's going to be before the power's restored in the building. And the reason they do that is because those batteries only last so long that operate that system. Even though they're recharged uh, on a daily basis or a continuous basis, those batteries will run down. Just like 
in the security lights in the building. When the power goes out, the exit lights light up. The security system continues to remain intact because there's batteries there. That is a battery backup. But when you get to that place called heaven, we ain't going to need no battery backup. Amen. We're going to have a light that will never fail and a power of that light will never fail. But as we look through verses 6 through 11, we see the communications to John. We see a series of miscellaneous communications were given to John to help uh, close up the revelations that had been given to him. Now, I've got a couple of large words in here, but I will try to um, define those for you to where you can better closely understand. But number one in that section, you see the proclamation in the communication in verse number six. He says, these sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel, uh, so show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. A very similar statement was made early in Revelation 19 and 9, where the Bible says these are true sayings. This is just another proclamation of affirmation, if you will. That what John has heard and what John has seen is the truth. All scripture comes under this affirmation. So much of what we read today is not reliable. It's not trustworthy. You better watch what you read on Facebook. You better watch what you even see on the news or in the newspaper. Because some of it is not reliable and it's not trustworthy. However, the Word of God tonight is absolutely trustworthy. Amen. It's the Word of God and no word is more reliable than that book right there that you have in your hands tonight. So that proclamation is being made that this is a true writing. Then you see that big word in number two in your outline. The perusia. Does anybody know what perusia means? My school teachers doesn't even know what perusia means. <laughs> it is not an ordinary word. But the word perusia means this. The presence or the coming. The coming. In the communications. Because the Bible tells us in verse number 7. Behold I come quickly. Now this is Christ coming back to earth. The promise was affirmed and detailed in Acts chapter 1. As he was seen ascending up into the heavens. With those men standing there in white apparel. They said the same Jesus that is leaving will soon return again. And he left the earth after his first coming. But I want you to look at the words there as we dissect this particular scripture in verse number 7. Behold, I come quickly. Now, as we look at that word quickly. In the view of the fact that over... 2,000 years have passed since this promise. The word quickly here has to most likely refer to something other than soon. And this is what I've read. When we read of him coming quickly. Doesn't mean that he's going to come in the next little bit. But it means when it starts rolling, it's going to happen very fast. Okay? Now, now, now you have to uh, dig deep down into that word quickly there. Because the word means speedily, 
it means rapidly. So when the Lord comes for his own, it'll be with lightning speed. His appearing will be with such suddenness that it will catch a, uh, unaware a whole lot of people who are not prepared. And it'll be too quick for a last minute repentance. That's what they mean by quickly. He'll come quickly. Boom, when the trumpet sounds, boom, we're out of here. You're not going to have time to say, God, forgive me. By the time you figure out what's going on, it'll be too late. You'll be left behind. Quickly. Quickly. So, we know that Jesus is coming soon. We know by the signs of the times that Jesus undoubtedly is coming soon. But here in the scripture, don't let it be misinterpreted tonight. When he says that, behold, I come quickly. When he begins that journey, when that begins to take place, it's going to happen quick. It doesn't mean that it may happen as soon as tonight, even though we know that it very well can. We're looking at a, a, a thousands of years since John's seen these things. So, you know, if he's saying that he's coming quickly, as, as I'm, I'm going to come in the next week or two, well, I believe that would make the, be a little contradiction there, wouldn't you think? But that's not what the original meaning of that word is. That word quickly means that when he begins to come, it's going to be with lightning speed. And no one will have a chance to think. And that's why we got to be ready today. And we got to be ready now. For when he comes, it'll be too late to be ready. The same is often true in death. When death overtakes many in an instant. Um, I have seen and done funerals of people that have lost their life. And they didn't even know that they were going to die at that particular time. Maybe riding down a road, someone runs a stop sign. I'm thinking of one particularly a lady is pulling out of her driveway. She doesn't see the trash truck coming. The, the trash truck uh, hits her on the driver's side and immediately she's in eternity. She didn't have time to pray. That's why we got to be ready. We got to be ready. Uh, things happen like that all the time. You get a heart that uh, is uh, bad and begins to uh, act up on you. Brother Joe can probably tell you about the heart. It's a scary situation going in on that operating table. In today's technology, Brother Joe, they've done a fine job with you and it's a huge success. And most of the time it is a huge success. But I guarantee you they probably told you of some warnings of that too. Uh, you go into open heart surgery, there's a possibility that you might not come off the table. You're under anesthetic, and you just slip out into this world. There's no time to repent. <laughs> you better be repented before you go in. This happens so quickly. Be ready. And then verse number 70 says, Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. To keep these sayings involves such things as this. To treasure them. To prize them. To act upon them. The promise does not apply to reading fictional accounts of the end times. But to keep the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The Holy Bible. Fiction often strays from the truth of the book. We're to keep the book. Keep it in our hearts. Hide it. Treasure it. Prize it. Act upon it. And then we see in verse 8 and 9 the prohibiting in the communication. Listen to what John done. He says, I fell down to worship before. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel 
which showed me these things. Go to verse number 9. Then he saith unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. What happened here is this, if you can picture it in your mind. John is so excited about everything that he is doing, he falls down and begins to show favor toward the angel. The angel says, I'm thy fellow servant. I'm a servant like you are. You don't need to be worshiping me. Don't do that. He says, do not, for I'm thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and for them which keep the sayings of this book. Colon. In other words, pause. In other words, I'm going to tell you what to do. Worship God. In other words, don't you worship anything, not even not the angels, not the preacher, not the building, not the, listen, worship God. That's one who needs to be worshipped tonight, amen. Worshiping God. Then we see the precept in the communication in verse number 10. The Bible says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. For the time is at hand. Well, that's pretty simple. To seal the prophecy would be keeping folk from understanding the prophecy or being further uh, illuminated, if you will, about the prophecy or, or having that knowledge of the prophecy. Now, God doesn't reveal prophecy until the right time. Daniel was told, he says, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed Till the time of the end in Daniel 12, 9. But in Daniel's case, that was in Daniel's case, and it wasn't time to reveal what he had received. But in John's case, the time was different, and it was a time to open the book. And he said, don't hide it. Let everybody know about it. And then number six, the perpetuity. There's one of those big words. The perpetuity in the communication. Anybody want to define perpetuity? How about an indefinite long period of time? Is that pretty well right? Perpetuity. And the Bible says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. In other words, what I believe this is saying tonight. Some conditions will not change until Christ comes and changes things. The wicked will continue to be wicked and the righteous will continue to be righteous. We live in a day and we live in that day. If you want to die the death of a righteous, you must live the life of a righteous. But if you enjoy the pleasures of sin, don't be surprised if you experience the punishment of sinners throughout eternity. What's wrong with living right? What's wrong with living righteously? Die the death of the righteous. And if you do that, you've got to live the life of the righteous. There's only pleasure in sin for a season. I used to honestly think, and I, I remember saying this over at the old church. If God would just open up the earth where people could see down to the pits of hell, just maybe... 
Just maybe someone will believe that there is a God in heaven and they need to shun that place called hell. But then as you look in Luke chapter 16, you read the story of Lazarus and the rich man. God told him if he even sent them back from the dead, they're still not going to listen. So what makes us believe if they look down in the pits of hell, they'd change. Think about it. Nothing wrong with doing right. And you've got the opportunity to do right. And you've got the opportunity to do wrong. That's called free will. You've got a free will to choose Christ. Or you've got the will to reject Him. We'll pick up next week. Verse number 12. We'll finish this book. Let's stand together for prayer as she comes and gets us a song of invitation. And we will depart from this place and ask the Lord to bring us back the next appointed time.